All right. Hi, everyone. My name is Sammy. And I'm Stevie. And welcome to the first episode of Onward. Ah, this is so exciting. Okay. So Onward is a podcast dedicated to speaking towards uh, issues trans and non-binary singers face within choral music today and how choral directors can make their choral rehearsals more inclusive and equitable for all. Um, delivered to you in a bite-sized little episode hosted by me and Stevie. Uh, this podcast is truly designed for anyone in, anyone in the choral music industry, but specifically any cis-identifying choral, musicians, conductors, artists, whatever you want to identify as, uh, who just want to serve their transgender singers better uh, and just be a better ally to them overall. So now we get to do the exciting part and we get into the nitty gritty. Uh, I get to finally introduce my fabulous co-host, Stevie Herner, to the podcast. Uh, Stevie's going to be with us every week, hopefully, fingers crossed. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, this is, I get to take it away, Stevie. Okay. Um, Thanks so much, Sam. Um, I'm really grateful to uh, be able to be a part of this project. Um, Trans issues, as you know, are something that are very near and dear to me um and as sammy said my name is stevie Uh, my pronouns are she her and um i currently am a doctoral student in choral music at the university of southern california and um i have a bachelor's in music education from auburn university i have a master's in choral conducting from the university of missouri uh, <clears throat> yes, Missouri. Then, I didn't know you went to Missouri. <laughs> really? Come I didn't on, know you went on. to Missouri for your master's. Okay, yeah. sorry. <laughs> University of Missouri, master's in choral conducting uh, under Paul Crabb. Little shout out. Woo woo. Um, and then I taught middle school and high school choir for six years in Chicago and Miami. And now I'm getting my doctorate here at USC. Uh, hopefully done very soon. It's very exhausting. But. Uh, as you know, a lot of my research has been about trans inclusion because as a transgender person, it's something that's very, um, important to me. And, uh, I've been very fortunate that my research has gained a lot of traction lately. Um, and I've developed a methodology that is going to help choir directors just be more aware of what singers need and how they can provide, um, accommodations for their transgender singers to create a really inclusive environment. And I've been fortunate to present at Western ACDA this past spring. I'll be presenting at National ACDA in uh, February of 2023. And then um, I actually just had an article published in the Coral Journal as well on my research. It, It just all feels so surreal. Um, but the most surreal invitation to present something um, is without a doubt uh, the invitation that I got to present at the World Symposium on Choral Music in Istanbul, Turkey. Ah! So um, I'm super stoked about that. Um, it's an amazing opportunity that I'm very fortunate to have, and I can't wait to get to talk about some of uh, these issues that are just so important to me. Um, so thank you for having me. Yeah, oh my God, no worries. You are consider stevie a very very close friend but we'll talk about that later um and i'm just so happy to have her and her insight and all that great stuff on this podcast and i'm happy to have you and your insights because you're a wonderful human too 
Oh, stop it. Let's kiss. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so a little bit about me. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Sammy. Uh, pronouns he, they. Uh, I am currently pursuing my bachelor's of music at the University of Southern California in choral and sacred music. Uh, I have been singing ever since I was a wee little lad in my church choirs. I was also that musical theater kid, so I was doing a bunch of musical theater competitions around the greater Los Angeles area, and I found myself studying choir at USC uh, back in 2019, which I never thought, I never thought I'd ever be a music major, and now I do music full-time. I am currently a contracted singer with the uh, group Tonality, which is a uh, organization based on telling stories of, mis- of underrepresented communities um, through choral music and through really, really cool stuff that we do. So I'm very excited to be a uh, part of that organization underneath the direction of Dr. Alexander Lloyd Blake. Um, I am also, I've also done a really, a bunch of really cool work, um, side gigs of uh, session work and background vocals for people like the Eagles, uh, Pentatonics, Scott Hoying, all that fun stuff, and hopefully continue pursuing all everything that I'm doing now uh, post-USC. So that's a little bit about me. Uh, the reason why I developed this project, this podcast called Onward, is well, one as an uh, as to fulfill a requirement for a school class called Young Artist Project, which is a really really cool, unique class designed for uh, students, undergrad students in the classical department, to really branch out into the world and take their music and what they do, um, and kind of have a point of view and kind of have something to say. Uh, whether that be about climate change, um, diversity, equity, inclusion, um, technology, all this, all this really cool thing. So it's just taking taking what we do as classical musicians and just kind of putting it in context to the rest of the world. Um, so I wanted to do this because as someone who's coming into their own identity and seeing the issues and being in choir my whole life and seeing the issues that trans and non-binary artists face, I wanted to develop almost kind of like a how-to guide of just how to be a better ally to your trans singers and just speaking from personal experience. And I know Stevie and I will have a lot of personal experiences that we'll be talking about on this podcast. Um, just just for anyone who, any cis musicians out there who want to hear from two wonderful, wonderful trans and non-binary people about our experience and how just to be better overall in choral rehearsals. So with that being said, um, let's get into our first topic. Ah, this is so exciting. Sorry, I've been planning this for a really long time, so this is so cool that it's actually happening. But let's get into our first topic, which we wanted to kind of like ease in to this because we'll have more to say um, um, throughout um, the rest of the podcast. But our first topic is going to be about repertoire and just programming in general. Um, as we all know, um, the choral music canon, as I like to call it, uh, is commonly associated with just flat out white dead composers, uh, which in result are choir concerts don't really have a diverse selection within it. Um, or some choir directors will simply just program stuff like an African-American spiritual or world music and quotations, which basically it for some people literally just means anything that is not Western European music. Um, that is world music <laughs> as this like big flashy ending to their concerts, but without really truly getting into the cultural significance or like just like the, the, the meaning behind it. Um, 
And we can go on and on and on about an issue like this because there's a lot to be said. But uh, I think Stevie and I wanted to just kind of share the like trans joy and just like trans like trans excellence um, in and queer excellence in choral composition. So today we just wanted to share with you some of our favorite composers who identify either as queer or trans that you all who are listening to this podcast, yes, you can program into your own programs at your high school, your community college, your whatever. So I'll, uh, I'll pass it along to my incredible co-host, Stevie. Uh, how do you go about programming your own concerts? Because I know you work with the Los Angeles Children's, uh, Los, no, you work with the Long Beach Children's Chorus. Youth uh, Chorus. And you Long Beach Youth, youth chorus. chorus. Yeah. Uh, and you've worked with a bunch of different choirs over the years. Um, so I just want to know how you go about programming your own concerts and who are some of your favorite queer composers just so we can name them out and give them a little shout out on the podcast yeah um i'll start with uh the first half of your question um programming concerts i don't think any two conductors program with the same approach um but for me and i tell all of my ensembles this i i don't see much of a point in music if we're not communicating something we need to be able to connect with the message that we are trying to uh to share with our audiences and and do our best to facilitate the communication of that message so whether it's speaking about like a general life experience or if it's uh something more um general that's uh like love or whatever like you've got all those kitschy concerts um (laughs) christmas communicating something (laughs) yeah right uh communicating something doesn't necessarily mean that it has to have a specific theme per se um but good music has a message and so i always try to think about what is this what is the message of this music how does it relate to my singers? How does it relate to our audience? Maybe it's something that our audience isn't familiar with that we're trying to educate them on. Uh, maybe it's something that um, is a shared experience of both our audience and our singers, or just talking about a different perspective. There are a lot of different ways that you can go. Um, and. I am not one to shy away from difficult conversations about race, sexuality, mental health, um, social justice issues, whatever, whatever the case is. Like I, I, I don't think there's a topic that's quote unquote too mature that occurs in choral music that people of all ages can't embrace and understand yeah. at some level. Um, so. I always think about what am I trying to say? And as you said so eloquently, so much of the (laughs) choral canon is old dead white men. And Lord knows we've heard enough from white men, quite frankly. Um, And I feel like I can speak with authority on that as someone who used to think they were one. So (laughs) um, uh, I I don't know. I just, there are so many other perspectives and voices and beautiful stories and cultures and styles of music and 
there's just so much richness out there. Like, why are we confining ourselves to Bach, Beethoven, and Brahms? And then some would argue Britain, if you want to add a fourth B. But like, yeah. <laughs> no, it's so so well said. Yeah, yeah. Like it, th- those the music by those comp- composers is great. I've had a lot of emotional experiences performing music by those composers. Yeah. This is not to say that like we're trying to replace them. We're just trying to add to the conversation. And um, as far as composers that I look to for that, unfortunately, there's not an extensive catalog of classical choral composers who were openly queer and mm-hmm. on an even larger or, excuse me, smaller level uh, that were trans. Like, yep. There's not a lot to choose from, unfortunately. Like, there, there's some stuff out there, but, like, there aren't, like, those, um, the billboard names or something like that. So Yeah, absolutely. What I end up doing is trying to find music that speaks to that experience if I'm trying to address trans issues. Um, so perhaps there's something about... Um, trying to discover your identity or trying to embrace who you really are or make a difficult decision or um, processing depression or family struggles or whatever the case may be. Unrequited love. That's not in a heterocentric lens. Like this music exists, even if it's not necessarily written by someone who's an out queer composer or trans composer yeah and so um one of my favorite trans composers that is has really been gaining a lot of traction recently is maria Isabel valverde she is um based in texas uh she's a composer a singer clinician lecturer um she's really wonderful uh we did one of her pieces as a virtual choir um, back in the forbidden 2020, like peak quarantine era, um, called Darius. That was a fun piece to. Yeah, you sang on it. Of. Yeah. Yes, it, I did. It, it was so much fun. It's called Darius the Soul, and she's absolutely a wonderful person, and her music is gorgeous. Um, but uh, outside of outside of her, uh, I try to just kind of think of queer composers in general and honestly if you look back at all of those dead old white men a lot of them were queer so well let's talk about it (laughs) yeah like like you can you can always like recontextualize a composer like samuel barber was was queer uh leonard bernstein was queer uh benjamin Britten, like so many of these classical composers copeland was queer like there's discussions about whether or not Handel was queer. Like, yeah. there, there's so much. Hildegard von Bingen, like, going all the way that far back, like, she is arguably queer. Like, there, there's so much that can be recontextualized that has just been left out of those uh, composers' histories that were taught in school. So, like, don't think that, like, oh, I'm trying to find a queer composer. I need to look at contemporary composers because odds are a lot of uh the old and dead ones were also queer 
Um, I think Stravinsky was also queer. I'm not 100% on that one. I might be talking out yeah. my ass on that. Everybody but, queer. Yeah. Um, Camille Saint-Saëns <laughs> uh, was queer. Sondheim. Like, the list goes on. And um, Oh, yeah. And I would, uh, I would point you, actually, to a website where someone compiled a list of queer composers oh, wow. as part of a blog. Um, and this list includes, like, pop music, musical theater, classical music, film, TV. Like, uh, it's, it's pretty comprehensive. It's mostly 20th and 21st century people. But um, some of those older, more classical composers that I just mentioned um they are on there as well uh and it's the website is called taxirank.net and in their blogs you'll see list of queer composers as one of the the things so if you're looking for like oh i want music done by a queer composer um they also like have a column for what identifier does that person use are they trans gay bi lesbian or queer asexual non-binary whatever the case may be um it's delineated that way. It tells you what century they're from, what genre they compose in. Um, and then you can always go and look at their works from there. So rather than just like um, put in plugs for contemporary queer composers, like go to that resource, start there and yeah. then, and then build outwards. You know, everyone is drawn to different kinds of music. Um, uh, there's a lot to be had um that is out there just unfortunately not a ton of um of trans stuff because yeah especially historically so much of uh what could be recontextualized as trans music i mean this is something that i'm actually currently researching right now so i'm like in the midst of it like i don't have my mind wrapped around all of it yet but yeah for sure um in for for instance uh there is a collection of um uh of music at uh usc that's what our school is called <laughs> there's a there's a collection uh, of music at usc uh within the university of south carolina yeah yeah you know <laughs> university of southern california listen i I did the SEC once, actually twice, technically, um, because mm-hmm. Missouri joined the SEC right as I went there. But um, I will not be doing that again. So Southern California. <laughs> Southern um, California. Actually, I don't know if you are aware of this, but uh, our USC has <laughs> the largest um, uh, library of queer records. Wow. Period. Really? In the world. It is the largest compilation of queer uh, research, books, whatever. It's called One. And um, in that library, they have a collection of um, solo songs that were written in um, from like 1890 to 1920 um, that would have been sung like in a cabaret style. And these these songs um, don't have any like reputable recordings because we're not really sure how to contextualize them yet. Um, And again, this is like the meat of my research, so don't go stealing my stuff. But (laughs) (laughs) um, I'm actually going to be putting together a cabaret performance next semester of 
some of these songs that were written and there's hundreds of them that that's incredible that would have been performed like in drag shows and like gender bendy queer environments wow that that they didn't have the terminology for trans but these people like there are there are like song titles and like lyrics that are like there's no way this is this is just like this is only drag like there's more yeah there's more here than that um so it's super exciting like so if you look back historically you might need to be looking for different terminology you might be looking for someone who was a cross-dresser or known for being particularly effeminate or particularly masculine despite um being born and assigned one gender or one sex over another like there's a lot to explore but based on the time period that you're looking in you have to be thinking about okay what contextually would these people have been called Mm -hmm. at that time you know and so it makes research really difficult um to try and find historical trans composers but you know with each passing day uh there are more and more of us out there um i myself am a trans composer Uh, i don't yes you are (laughs) i I was just about to talk about your composition (gasps) oh my gosh how convenient so so stevie oh my god yeah so stevie uh had a uh, recital last year for university chorus which is one of the choirs here at usc (laughs) And she uh, premiered this wonderful piece that I got to sing on called Our Roses. Uh, I don't know if you want to touch on that, but it, it was one of the one of my like personal musical highlights, honestly, um, mm-hmm. uh, was getting to sing this piece and getting to sing these beautiful words that you didn't you didn't write this. This is like a text, right? Like uh, did you I wrote it? most of the words. Um, oh, my God. That's even wonderful. That's even better. <laughs> so the. <laughs> The piece, um, I'll talk about it a little bit, but we're not. I don't. I don't want to like give an unbelievably long, shameless self plug. Um, but I'll do yeah, a short. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do a short, shameless self plug. That's fine. Short, shameless self plug. That's hard to say. <laughs> um, but the piece, uh, there's a there's a saying that has become associated with the trans community called "Give us our roses while we're still here." And um, it w- it became associated with the trans community. Uh, but it's originally from the black community um, and slowly over time became more and more tied to queer spaces and then specifically trans individuals um, because of a painting that, or excuse me, uh, like digital poster mural that um, an artist named Cosmo Parker created for the Trans Day of Visibility. Or excuse me, excuse me, not Trans Day of Visibility. That one's different. Trans Day of Remembrance, uh, yes. which basically is, it's actually November 20th, which is in nine days. Um, so we'll have uh, have to do maybe something special for Trans Day of Remembrance. But um, yeah, the saying, give us our roses while we're still here, is essentially um, a call to action to respect and appreciate trans individuals while they are alive and not to wait until they die um like this is so much of a problem that there's actually an international effort to try and track the the amount of trans violence and murders or deaths due to um unnatural means that uh trans people experience um globally and it's called the trans murder trans murder monitoring project um 
and they actually have like an interactive map that shows you like how many uh how many murders in each country globally um have been reported that are associated with trans individuals and i say that have been wow. reported because so many of these crimes they don't are not reported at all because no one cares yeah. or they're misgendered in the report so no one knows yes. when they're looking at the report that it was a trans person um yeah. so but even with the um even even knowing that information that there are probably countless others that haven't been reported there have been in the last like 13 years like i think like 4500 deaths globally um wow. trans related murders and like 40% of those happened in brazil um or at least wow. were okay. in brazil and reported <laughs> anyway um like 350 of them or more i don't remember the exact number off the top of my head we're in the united states um it, it it's it's something that's extremely relevant and um yeah so i wrote a piece that it was essentially a call to action and i added some text of my own and um i was honored to have you singing on it um and as part of your performance in that you were serving as a representative of the trans community and um giving a voice to so many people who don't have one and i think that that's yeah. really important it felt like that in the moment it was a very it was very very special that um perform getting to sing that piece but yeah i experienced a similar thing when i was even thinking about this topic of just repertoire and how there's not a lot because i don't think that it's one that there's just not a lot of trans composers out there or two there's not a lot of people giving trans composers the opportunity to put their experiences down on pen and pa on pen and paper and just getting to write music for a larger audience or getting the opportunity to get their pieces premiered or performed somewhere right um and so i think i think you said it beautifully about like just context yeah. of and reinterpreting pieces that maybe were um, written by the old white men, old white men, <laughs> <laughs> and and just kind of creating a creating a story and creating a narrative, creating yeah. a, having a point of view. Um, I mean, I think, I think it. Sorry, um, I think it's really similar to the idea of so much of choral music being sacred music, and yes. uh, there's such a diversity of perspectives that are not um, Eurocentric Christian. Uh, yeah. that we are asking to perform this Christian music. And so even then, like you have to recontextualize it for those people to try and make it relevant because if you can't make your music relevant, what's the point? But yeah, um, absolutely. as you were saying, like we're trying to do the same thing. We're trying to uh, take something that uh, or to break something down to its core message and then relate it to an experience that is relevant to our singers now. Um, and I think that because, or rather until we have more music by trans individuals to choose from, that that's kind of the approach that we're going to have to take for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had the I had a really cool opportunity. Uh, I had a in my sophomore year of college, I took a feminist theory course, or sophomore, junior, 
which one either one but uh, our final project was to create something tangible and create something that we could present to the class uh it w- the prompt was literally just something relating to gender so i wanted to speak about trans and non-binary issues so i created an entire winter concert i don't know why it was a winter concert it was just a winter concert <laughs> um uh, called uh, it was called like the stories of trans and non-binary people in today's America. I think I called it like Trans America or something like that. Um, and it was this whole concert that was talking about issues of. I think I, we started with um, saying her name uh, with this piece called "Say Her Name" by uh, Alicia Lee, which um, stated the names of all the black women that were killed in, uh, unfortunately killed in 2020 and 2021, mm. um, that I had an idea of just like also implementing trans black trans women's names because they're, they're the most susceptible to, uh, murder here in the United States, unfortunately. Yeah. And so we talked about that. I, t- I had like pieces like prayer of the children. I had mm. a whole section. I had a whole two, mo- uh, two movement section called chosen family and that, and that concept, uh, within yes. queer communities of like how we have this innate privilege of we get to choose who our families are and uh, and who and who the people we want to hold closest to us whether that be blood related or not it's borderline and, I mean yes it is a privilege to be able to do that but it's also borderline a necessity that we do and that. yeah yeah oh yeah because we did it out of it had to be out of necessity um, the the term the phrase chosen family was created in almost i think like the 70s or the 80s when people were just kicking their children out at like such young yeah. ages and they had to go find yep. support networks yeah and that and fed into go... the ballroom culture in new york and you had yeah houses that were led by quote-unquote mothers um yeah i put quotes just because the it didn't matter what gender the person was yeah they were just the, the mother they, of the they house. were just the mother of the house they're a mothering personality and they would take yeah these kids off the street that have been abandoned by their families and give them a place to to live and to be loved and it's just it's a beautiful powerful thing and yeah, yeah so that fed right into the chosen family and yeah ballroom culture is we could do like a six se- six session podcast just on ballroom culture, but oh, absolutely! Yeah, I did a whole essay about uh, mm. the music of ballroom culture. In, oh, amazing! Uh, one of my oh, it was uh, such a, that was like one of my favorite essays I've ever written. But yeah, um, getting to do that project was so eye opening to what we just discussed today, and just it made me re- it made me really think about like how to take this text that people set forth and not and spin it in a way that it it only acts at, it acts as the the vessel in the stories that we want to tell and it was it was just so fun and i ended with our i think later down the line i realized i wanted to end with our roses but uh the concert ended with um an arrangement by sandra Choi, usc doctoral program alumni wonder wonderful sandra alumnus. Choi. he has a wonderful alumnus he has a great <laughs> arrangement of of Cindy Lauper's True Colors. That yes, it, is it the one that USC sang a couple years ago? Uh, I don't know if it was that one, but it's on. I heard a live performance of his arrangement of True Colors, and it was just a uh, Chef's Kiss. <laughs> so definitely, if you yeah, all want to hear a beautiful, really, really cool a beautiful and, song, and the poetry in that song relates to the queer community so well. Yeah. So if you want to hear a really cool and like intricate and specific version of true colors then you hit up my boy sander Troy. we actually haven't ne- we actually never met so i don't know why i'm saying that but <laughs> uh, doesn't he sing in tonality with you 
No, he dropped for the season. <laughs> oh no! So you were he's so booked close. In... <laughs> I was so close. Yeah. No, he's booked and busy though. We we don't fault him for that. I would yeah. love to meet you, Sonder, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he'll Please be. Meet me. I'm sure he'll be at the the USC alumni reception at ACDA. Oh yes, that's what that's when we we'll meet him. We'll, we'll walk each, with each other hand in hand, Stevie. We'll say there, hi to him. <laughs> there we go. Oh my God, hi Slender, oh. we're your groupies. Hi Slender, <laughs> hi. We love your music. Um, <laughs> well, it looks like that's all the time we have for today. Um, thank you so much. Oh my God, this was our yeah, first podcast. Oh my gosh, I had a great and time. We, time flies. Yeah, and we have so many great more, conversations. Literally, and we have so many more coming down the pipeline. So many cool topics and so many cool people that we're going to be interviewing soon. Yes. So, so just. We'll see you next time. Stay tuned. Uh, Signing off. Woo. Bye. Bye. (laughs)